The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of the now. And rock and roll. The talk you're under will slowly rob you of your boring soul. And it's Friday. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. The People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. Oh, my time has come. Oh, the time has come. People don't fear the rebound. Oh, baby, don't you understand? People, don't you be a creeper. Come on, baby, take my hand. La, 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 la. Zink on, zink on, zink on. La, 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 la. It's gonna link on, link on, link on, look and gong. Woo! Bringing in the new cowbell rock and roll regattas here on Talk is Jericho. I always love that SNL sketch where uh, Gene, Gene was saying uh, he was playing the cowboy there and he had his gut hanging out, Will Ferrell, Jimmy Fallon laughing, as he always does, and Christopher Walken, my name is Bruce Dickinson, I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, and I got a disease, and the only cure is more cowbell. Is that the worst Christopher Watkins imitation you've ever heard? And how about the fact that his name was Bruce Dickinson? I wonder if they had any idea that Bruce Dickinson was the air raid siren himself, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. Love it, man. Such a good, uh, such a good week. Had a great feedback on part one with Daniel Bryan on Wednesday, and obviously this interview was taped just a few a few days ago. But it was before it was announced that Daniel had to have uh, neck surgery. He had it a few days ago, and uh, hopefully he's recovering. All respect for Daniel Bryan, 
as you can uh, as you can hear from the podcast, and I hope he gets better soon. Hopefully, those neck injuries can be a little bit tricky at times, but as we've seen with Edge and Steve Austin and Lita and Bob Hawley and many, many others, you can still have a lot of great years after you have your neck surgery, especially with all of the amazing uh, medical uh, experts that are involved in the WWE camp. Shout out to my friend, Dr. Chris Amon, who's been one of the on-the-road WWE doctors for years and years and years. Good friend of mine, great guy, and uh, an incredible doctor. So those guys are all in good hands. Uh, we get second part with WWE World Champion Daniel Bryan. We don't know what his status is, but you know he'll be back soon as humanly possible. He's back here today. Uh, such a great conversation. So much more to talk about. We had so many uh, awesome topics that I had to spread it out over two shows. So more from Daniel Bryan, who could have been called Buddy Peacock or Lloyd Bonaire, which is great. It's Buddy Peacock Week here on Talk is Jericho. Peacock Week. It's like Shark Week, but it's with peacocks. You get it? Peacock Week. So more Daniel Bryan coming up. But before we get started, I just wanted to give another big thank you. Uh, domo arigato, Mr. Sponsero. Domo, wow, wow, eh, 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 domo, wow, wow, eh, eh, eh. domo arigato. Thanks to you guys for checking out my sponsors. Checking out my sponsors. Supporting them means I get to keep doing this show for you for free twice a week. And the easiest way to find everything that sponsor, everything sponsorific, on Talk is Jericho, is to go to podcastone.com, that's podcastone.com, and click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. That will take you to Talk is Jericho and links to all of my sponsors that help us out over here, including Amazon. And all of the Amazon links are on there too for the UK, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, and everybody's going to Amazon! Amazon USA, Amazon USA as well. So again, please go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho, and go check out all of my great sponsors, and you can check me out currently on the road, sitting uh, behind the venue here in Arlington Heights, Illinois, also known, aka as Chicago, the Chicago Prefecture. Got a big rock show tonight. Of course, uh, that will have already taken place and be in the annals of history after you've heard this. Uh, The Friday night, which would be tonight, probably, is going to be in Pontiac, Illinois at Freakster's Roadhouse. Freakster's a a good guy. Uh, We've never played there. I did an autograph signing there before. Then on Saturday, it's Rock on the Range. Going to be another huge show, just like Carolina Rebellion was, with Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat and Rob Zombie and Kid Rock and Guns N' Roses and Fozzie. It's going to be an amazing show if you're going down to Rock on the Range and you're listening to this podcast on your drive. We look forward to seeing you Saturday afternoon on the Jägermeister stage. We're playing at 4.30. Come rock with us. May 20th, we hit Oklahoma City at the Chameleon. Uh, May 21st, Little Rock, Arkansas at Juanita's. May 22nd, Birmingham, Alabama, Iron City with Buck Cherry. May 23rd, Duluth, Georgia, a.k.a. Atlanta at Wild Bills with Buck Cherry. May 25th, Beckley, West Virginia at Munchies. 
I love the name of some of these clubs. Munchies. I haven't been to Beckley, West Virginia in years and years and years. I used to work there when I was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So uh, come check me out if you are an old Smoky Mountain Wrestling fan. Yeah, boy. That was almost 20 years ago. Wow, I guess there wouldn't be any young Smoky Mountain fans unless you're watching it on the WWE Network. Is Smoky Mountain on the WWE Network? I think it is. I think my entire career is on there at this point. Uh, May 26th at Connell Lake, Pennsylvania at the Beach Club. May 27th, I don't even want to say this, Oneonta, New York, Oneonta Theater. Those are both Buck Cherry. May 30th, Huntington, New York, Paramount. That's Long Island with Buck Cherry. May 31st, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Xfinity Live with Buck Cherry. May 28th, we got the, uh, the Fozzie Listening Party in New York City at Idle Hands. So if you're in the city and you want to be one of the first to hear the new Fozzie record, um, you should come down and check us out. We will be there hanging out Wednesday, May 28th at Idle Hands in New York City. It's the place to be. Uh, the address is 25th Avenue, I believe it is. Google it. That'll be at, uh, at 7.30. So come check out the whole new record. Lights Go Out is the new record, and people are going nuts for the song. As a matter of fact, let's play it right now. By request, I'm getting a lot of requests from people who say they want to hear lights go out. Uh, every single talk is Jericho. So uh, I'm going to oblige, much oblige. This is the new Fozzy Rock tune on its way to being a huge radio hit in its early stages. Here's lights go out.
know you love it. I thank you for listening. And if you want to hear it, I mentioned all the places that will be. Uh, I also have to uh, shout out to my UK friends. We'll be playing Lights Go Out June 14th at Download on the main stage with Linkin Park, Kill Switch Engaged, Fall Out Boy, Bring Me the Horizon, Bowling for Soup, Dying Fetus, Fozzie, all at the main stage. That'll be in front of a, probably about 100,000 people. Looking forward to that. And June 12th and June 15th, it's London is Jericho. London is Jericho at Leicester Square Theater. That's going to be my spoken word Q&A uh, extravaganza. It's going to be a lot of fun, ready to talk and rock with all of you. If you don't have tickets for that, there's a few left. You're not going to want to miss it. I tell all the tales from the WWE, from uh, my early years in wrestling, from Fozzie, touring with Metallica, arguing with Sharon Osbourne, being uh, the laughing stock for Ozzy Osbourne. A lot of great stories, but you have to come check them out. And one last thing to plug, Tweet Secret. It's my special VIP uh, club. Exclusive videos that only the VIPs can see sent directly to your phone. I do a raw review every Tuesday. I do movie reviews. I show you what it's like on the road, on the tour bus, at the gigs, behind the scenes, flying to the UK, whatever's going on. I will send you a video every day to your phone. So go to the App Store and click in Tweet Secret and check it out. Um, I have an interesting thing that I wanted to talk about today as the beginning of the show. I was watching Blades of Glory on the bus the other day. That you know, the figure skating movie with Will Ferrell and uh, what was the other cat's name? The guy that was in Napoleon Dynamite, John Favreau, I think. John something or the John Hedberg. John Helwig. John begins with an H. Anyways, um, I was watching it and I was thinking, you know what? Figure skating is an Olympic sport, right? And gymnastics is an Olympic sport. And what they are are choreographed athletic routines by two amazing athletes. John Hedder was the guy's name. So you guys don't have to hit me up on the Twitter to yell at me. So, um... I was thinking, so gymnastics, you put together a choreographed routine with another athlete and you get scored and then you can win a gold medal. And same thing with uh, figure skating. You know, a lot of different things, synchronized swimming, all that sort of stuff. Why couldn't wrestling, pro wrestling, also be an Olympic sport? Now think about it. Okay, it's scripted, whatever. Sure it is. But it's a choreographed routine between two highly developed athletes to put on a show, and if you put on this show to the best of your abilities and there's no screw-ups and the crowd reacts and it flows and it's very breathtaking, you could win a gold medal if the judges vote that, that, that you were the best. So why couldn't you do that with wrestling? Have like Team Canada, Team USA, Team Russia, Team Finland, you know, Team Japan, whatever, Team Jamaica, like a Jamaican bobsled team but in wrestling. And every country has 10 minutes or 5 minutes or whatever the routines are to put together the absolute best match, a.k.a. best choreographed routine that you could put together. And then you perform that in the ring at the risk of physical danger just like anything else, like figure skating or gymnastics or whatever. And at the end of it, you get scored by the judges. And whoever gets the highest score moves on and then eventually wins a medal. Like, why couldn't you do that? 
You could have it for girls. You could have it for guys. And you're, you're doing basically a pairs competition, but you're against each other. But, you know, if it was Team Canada, let's say Jericho and Lance Storm or Jericho and Edge or Edge and Lance Storm. Team USA, you pick your two best workers, you know, Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle. Team Japan, you know, Tanahashi and, uh, you know, Okada. Uh, Team Mexico, you know, Averno and, you know, Kachoro, whoever's really hot at the time. And everybody goes up against everybody and you have the Olympic sport of pro wrestling. So what do you guys think about that? I think it could totally work, and I think we should approach the Olympic Committee with uh, that hypothesis, with that theory. I mean, I mean, you, you, know, you could have world games. You could do everything, I mean, and there's no reason. And you can try and shoot holes in this as much as you want. You know, use, pro wrestling's fake, which I hate the word fake, but pro wrestling's fake. Okay, well, figure skating is fake. It's a choreographed routine. Pro wrestling is scripted. Okay, I get it. Bingo. Wow. You know, good news there. Same thing with, with figure skating. It's choreographed. It's two people working together to put on the best show. So that's my um, my opinion. And it makes me laugh, too, because I saw a picture the other day of me from the ladder match that I had with Shawn Michaels in 2008. No mercy for the world title. And people ask me often ask me, Chris, and I say yes. They say, what's your favorite match of all time? That one automatically jumps in my head, not because just it was an awesome match, one of the best ladder matches of all time, in my opinion, if not the best. Um, and the fact that it was for the world title, which we had worked our way up to, was never supposed to be a world title feud. It was supposed to be a one-off, one-pay-per-view, run-and-done type of a thing. Ended up, uh, this organic story unfolded for seven months, and suddenly we're working for the world title. In this world title match, I get hit in the face with the ladder for real, and it snaps my tooth in half. So I posted a picture up on Instagram of, of this me, like, grimacing in pain with, like, this obviously tooth snapped in half, and I just said, you know... Pro wrestling is, you know, somebody says, pro wrestling, I don't like it, it's scripted. And I'm like, okay, is it really totally scripted? Because it wasn't scripted for me to have my tooth snapped in half by a ladder during this match with HBK. And anybody who has any issues with pro wrestling being scripted, well, guess what? So are movies, so are TV, so are music videos, etc., etc. But yet people watch them and understand that it's a show. Same thing with wrestling, but sometimes we get our teeth snapped in half. Not a good uh, moment for me in my career. Hurt, hurt, hurt like a dipsy doo. I'll tell you what, hurt like a dipsy doodle. So, should pro wrestling be an Olympic sport? Hit me up on the Twitter and let me know your thoughts at Talk is Jericho, and we'll look into it and uh, we'll get going on that. Also, if you have questions for Ash the Fish Expert, Hit me up at Talk is Jericho and lay him on me. Use the hashtag Ask Ash. He's going to be on the show next week uh, fielding questions. He was a big hit. Ash, the fish expert, spent many years uh, on the seas uh, exploring, learning, living with the sea creatures. And he's going to share all of those experiences with you. As will Daniel Bryan share more of his experiences as part two of my conversation with Daniel Bryan is coming up next Peacock Week continues right here on Talk is Jericho. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
is Jericho. WWE World Champion Daniel Bryan is back for another round on Talk is Jericho. Let's jump right back in with NXT. The NXT concept was putting the quote-unquote rookies, and you are the rookie that had been working for 10 years and had been world champion in multiple places, and they paired us up, they paired the rookies up with, with the veterans, and you were paired up with Miz, which was a yeah. huge controversial thing. You want to talk about your hardcore fans getting pissed off. Yeah, and but um, to me, I thought I thought that was really smart. Like uh, as far as far as like just creating interest and all that kind of yeah. stuff, you know, like. Um, but I yeah, I just think like the hardcore fans like what he's going to be <laughs> mentored by the Miz, you know, not <laughs> not realize like yeah, well yeah, honestly it was good because they, at the time they were giving Miz a lot of talking time. Right. And one thing that, that I needed um that I needed work on specifically was uh was talking. And, like, I had done, you know, not that I couldn't do it, and I had done some good interviews when I was on the independents, mm-hmm. but you, you never had to do it very much. You need to get comfortable with it, yeah. you know, and be able to go out there and do it. And, and that stuff with Miz was really helpful because it, he, she was a very easy antagonist to, right. to talk about, you know. Well, so, I- like, and especially when you're nervous and you feel like everybody's looking at you and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of what you need. So. Well, and he was an easy target, too, because he was a heel. So anything that you said, it kind of made, like, this kid's got some balls. Because, like you said, most people didn't really know who Daniel Bryan was as much as, as kind of the, the, the insiders did. And I remember one, because they used to have us sitting on the stage uh, scoring you guys, which was all BS. They, we didn't score anything. They didn't, they didn't keep track of anything. If you looked at our scorecards, I was drawing pictures of Christian and funny faces and playing tic-tac-toe with MVP. <laughs> but I remember they would make you guys do a promo just out of thin air like just do a promo like okay Brian uh, Daniel Bryan do a promo on the crowd or whatever it was and the first night you did a promo where you ended up with like saying you know I'm going to make you tap out or you're going to tap it was something along those lines and right off the bat it's like the kid is smart man you just created a catchphrase in your very first night in and people bought into it I remember they liked it and it was almost like your first catchphrase was you know, you're going to tap out, or, or, or do you remember exactly yeah, what it was? It was, it was, it was uh, actually you'll either tap or snap, and it's That's funny it. because it's like the, that whole situation was so crazy and bizarre. And why? Like, I, I think half of the stuff that we do is just for Vince's own entertainment. Of course, it's just like <laughs> it's just like them lining this up and saying, "Okay, um, somebody's going to come in, and he's just going to whoever it is is going to come in, and they're going to say something to you, and um, just react accordingly." Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're just standing there like bozos, right? And Miz walks in and he goes, uh, you know, he pulls me up, Daniel Bryan, you're my rookie. You know, it's important in WWE to have a catchphrase. I want you to go out to the ring right now and and cut an interview or tell people why they should like you and come up with a catchphrase or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, my thing ended up being you'll either tap or snap. Because, because that, I I heard it on maybe like a on a on Pride commentary, you know, yeah. the MMA from Japan, or you know, I'd heard it, and you know, you hear it in the gym, you know, you know, like uh, when you're grappling and stuff like that, when Neil would be sh- showing us stuff or whatever, and he'd, he'd you know be like, I'm gonna either tap or snap, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing, and uh, so then I said it and it worked, and then they're like, well. Uh, this is afterwards. Well, we can't actually use that because it's trademarked by somebody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a T-shirt company that's like Tap or Snap oh, or okay. something like that. Or, you know, so I never ended up being able to use it. But yeah, like uh, yeah, that that was it was a that whole thing was wild, man. Like we had to like 
Carrie, I forget what it was. Keg carry was one of the first things that we had to do, like carry a keg around the ring. And yeah. Like, I've never even picked up a keg <laughs> in my life. And so, like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, like, of course, they make me go first, so I don't even get to see, like, the strong guys and show how they can do it. And you know what's funny is uh, Skip Sheffield was, like, is like the most competitive guy on these on these challenges. Right back. Us were like, we don't care. This is all stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, he bought, he bought into it. Trying to win every challenge. So. Well, like you said, I mean, most of that stuff was, was just for Vince's amusement, and he's a big, big uh, believer in let's see how you react to something on the spot. But also, as we know, Vince is a genius, and he came up with one of the most genius ideas when he had the entire NXT squad, basically a night or two after NXT, he was finished he knew that you guys would probably just go off and do nothing but he then put all you guys together uh as like this seven man hit squad that attacked the WWE and invaded the WWE tell us about how you were told about that because it was a big surprise no one knew and then tell us what happened to you on that very first night yeah so um essentially we were just kind of all pulled into an office and just kind of said hey um this is what we'd like to do this is how we'd like you to be and we'd like this to be essentially a gang style beatdown, mm-hmm. and um and so that was kind of we were given a little bit of direction but not much mm-hmm. and uh and so yeah and then um so we were able to just kind of go out there and then do whatever we kind of wanted well it turns out you couldn't really do whatever you wanted yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> seen uh, is in the ring seen so, is in the ring and then all you guys kind of converge and then just attack them yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. John was John Cena was in the ring, and then we all like come down from the crowd and like it was a great jump moment over the barricade. And yeah, it, like I thought it was just a very cool visual. And we start we start uh, uh, beating up John Cena, and then we start tearing apart the ring and all this kind of stuff. And then um, within that melee, um, <laughs> we ripped the shirt off of Justin Roberts, and because it was like a gang style beatdown, and I had. I didn't know the confines of what PG really is. Right. But to me, here's Justin Roberts with no shirt on and a tie around <laughs> his neck. And so I thought, oh, this will be great. Uh, yeah. And I pulled back on the tie. And um, and then uh, so I did that. And then I, I, I um, we're all doing stuff to John, right? Right. So, like everybody's doing their big thing to John. And uh, uh, I kicked him in the head. But right before... I kicked him in the head. I spit in his face. <laughs> and um, so it was funny because, like, they didn't really know who was doing what when we were out there. Yeah. Right? Like, so so we got back, and it's like, oh, who, who choked Justin Roberts with that tie? I was like, oh, that was me. No choking. Who spit in John Cena? Who spit in Cena's face? <laughs> me. No spitting. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh crap! And it's funny because that was on a on a Monday in Miami. Mm-hmm. Tuesday we went to SmackDown, but we didn't do anything. Wednesday I had to do something for the um, for FCW's the developmental thing. Yeah. And I was actually talking to Miz and like because we did a um, I don't I don't remember what we did. We were, I was talking to Miz and he, he was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It'll all blow over. And actually on the Tuesday at SmackDown, uh, Michael Hayes was like, okay. Daniel, what did you learn from last night? I said, no choking, no spitting. Good. It's not bad to make mistakes. You just have to learn from them. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you know, that's nice. And then Vince was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It'll blow over. Friday, I get a call from Vince himself telling me that they had to let me go. And it's like, wow. And what was the, what was the reasoning? But uh, it's funny because 
one of my responses, which I think really helped me, was I wasn't that bothered. Mm-hmm. Like, when I saw, like, the unknown number, I was like, oh, like, I kind of had this feeling, this yeah. sense of dread. And I was like, uh, but uh, one of the things that I had said to him, you know, I said, well, thank you for the opportunity. And he, he's, he's like, no, 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 this is, you know, I'm sorry we have to do this, you know, but we have to do it. And I said, well, don't feel bad for me because I'm going to make more money this year than I've ever made before just on the independence just based off that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I knew that that took him back a little bit because John Laurinaitis followed up on me with the details of like, okay, what happens now, right? Right. And, and he said, did you tell... Vince, that you were going to make more money this year than you'd ever had before? And I said, yeah, because realistically <laughs> I was. I wasn't making any money with WWE because I was. I didn't have the developmental contract that the other guys had. Uh, I had a regular contract, mm-hmm. and so all I was only working two shows a week. So like oh. the developmental guys would get their, their downside of whatever they get per week, and then on top of that, we're getting paid extra for doing the TVs. Right. I had a, I had a low downside and then was... Not only working the two TVs a week, which usually on Raws we weren't doing anything. So like I was going in the hole every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it it ended up being like 2010 ended up being uh, a worse year for me with WWE <laughs> than any than any time that I'd had in the last four years on the independence. And that's what a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that just because you're in the WWE doesn't mean you're making huge money until you kind of get to the upper echelon. You got a lot of expenses you got to pay, and you know, five hundred bucks a night hardly covers anything. Yeah, and and especially like because now you're you know with WWE you're getting taxed on every dollar, right? And like whereas like on the independence, you know, like I would um, I would get taxed on everything that I made with with Ring of Honor, but there's also like uh, like the stuff in Japan. I would go over to Japan. And I would, um, they would pay my taxes for me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like, oh. they, you know, they would they would tell me you're getting paid X amount per week, right? But we're actually paying you this amount per week. Be, uh, so like, they told me, okay, you'll come in for this, but mm-hmm. they're actually paying me more than that because they're taking care of my taxes. Right. And they're like doing all this, uh, you know, other kind of stuff. So like, you know, there was all, that whole world that like when you even when you think of some like. When somebody tells me, oh, to make, at the time, okay, I make uh, 50, so my downside is something, 50 something thousand dollars a year. Oh, well, at least you're making 50 something thousand dollars a year. That's guaranteed yeah. money. Well, that, after you tax it, and then if you're only on the road occasionally, and those uh, road, expense, road expenses for the weekend can be a thousand dollars. Sure. You know Easy. What I mean? Between rental cars and hotels and food and all that kind of Drop stuff. Drop off fees. And so, yeah. And so it's like, uh, it, it was really an eye opener that that 2010 was as far as all that kind of stuff goes. Why why did Vince why did what did Vince tell you as to why he had to let you go? Because they were um, because you know we're a PG company and we have sponsors and we have this and that and I don't know if he's I don't remember what he said as far as um, complaining you know but he said he he apologized to me mm-hmm. I mean he didn't apologize apologize like. He said, I'm sorry that I have to do this, you know what I mean? But yeah. we have advertisers and we have this who depend on us being a PG company. And if if I don't do something to kind of reprimand you now, yeah. it'll, you know, then people will say in the future, if they do something like that, well, you, you know, Daniel Bryan got away with it or this right. guy got away with it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of his justification for it. But um, he was actually very nice to me on the phone as, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. far as that goes, it wasn't like you're an you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's the, how all that went. The same thing happened to me when I got suspended for kicking the flag in Brazil. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the same thing. He's like, you know, I have to suspend you. I'm like, for what? And he's like, because I have to show the world that if this stuff happens, that I have no mercy and I will reprimand you and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of the way that he feels. And I guess in a way it's justified. You know, you got to protect yeah. himself and make sure that people know that this kind of stuff is not allowed. Although much like you, I didn't know that kicking a flag wasn't allowed, you know? Right. Yeah, and I remember when that when that happened with you, and yeah. I was I was sitting there thinking like that's just pro wrestling, right? That's right, like, man. I, I I you know for for I would go over to England for you know a long period of time. Like in two thousand three, I went there for like six months straight, uh-huh. and uh, I was doing the Butland shows every night, and like I was constantly doing stuff to their flag, and I was going <laughs> out there and singing the American yeah. national anthem, and like all that kind of stuff. And never once do you think like. Like, oh, I shouldn't do this. You just think, oh, it's, it's pro wrestling, and this is the way I'm, yeah. I'm going to get people to hate me. You That's know? right. <laughs> it's just typical heel stuff, right? right. Hey, did you ever see yeah. the uh, the action figure that's uh, that some fan made? It was like one of those two-pack action figures where it was Daniel Bryan choking ring announcer Justin Roberts with his tie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so people had sent me like pictures of that on Twitter, and I think <laughs> I've had autograph signings and stuff. That's I've actually great. Seen, people have brought that to me and so i don't know how many of them they actually produced or or whatnot or if they produced any i don't or maybe it's just i think it was just a joke that some fan put together or something and they made a few of them but so i mean i remember this because i was in the thick of that angle because it ended up being uh the nxt they went down to to six they didn't replace you and then um john cena kind of tried to put together this all-star team of Freedom Fighters to help save the WWE, and Edge and I were heels at the time, and we finally joined up, but it was six on five, and the big secret was who's going to be team member number five on the, on uh, Team Cena against NXT. Now, I'm not sure how many months passed in between that, but I show up that day in the Staples Center, and we go to Vince's office to have uh, a talk about the match, and... Lo and behold, there's Daniel Bryan. So you, they had brought you back. So how how much longer was that in between when you got fired and then when they brought you back? So I don't know what what how what the time was between only a couple months I, maybe. Um, when it, it was like I want to say it was like three months from when my last TV appearance until the SummerSlam. Okay, appearance. but it was like two months after I had gotten fired. They uh, they called me about bringing me back mm-hmm. and. Um, and they just, took, you know, asked for it to be really quiet. And, and, you know, that was one of the hardest things for me was to not say anything to people because at the time I was um, trying to broker a deal with New Japan mm-hmm. to, to start coming back in. And then um, they had emailed me, and then I didn't know what to say, so I just didn't email them back, right? <laughs> I, was just like, I was just like, oh, gosh, you know, like... Um, and so, so anyways, it was, but yeah, like, and then I was just trying to keep it quiet and, um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was, it was about three months between appearances. And, and what did they say? Like, you know, we changed our mind or the, the, the heat is blown over or. Uh, they didn't say anything like that. Uh, John Laurinaitis called me and it was actually, gosh, uh, my, um, I, I was in the process when he called me, I was at the vet with um we were doing <laughs> me and my girlfriend at the time were um were fostering a beagle and this beagle was like 60 plus pounds way overweight what yeah. happened was the um it, it had an elderly couple who were owners 
and then the the um, the husband had passed away, and then the wife got put in a nursing home, and then the dog went with her. But it was just like she couldn't really do anything, so she felt bad, and all she would do was just feed the beagle, right? It <laughs> right. became grotesquely fat, and like. But then I don't know if the lady couldn't take a, a care of it anymore, if she passed away or what had happened. But then this beagle needed rescuing, and nobody wanted to take it because at this point it's like eight years old and mm-hmm. so overweight. So we were um, we had, we were fostering the beagle, and we had, were taking it to the vet. And John, <laughs> John Lord, I called me, and he's like, and asking me like, if if you'd like to come back, we have this you know spot for you if you want it like this is kind of the thing how we see it playing out that sort of thing and uh and in the in, like here i am in the vet with this beagle that's like so fat and i'm just like this is like the whole thing is just surreal you know yeah <laughs> so yeah that's how it all came down well i mean and, the, and then it worked out good and suddenly you're back in the company and you're and you're on your way but i remember very early on and this i've told you this story before it's a great story i mean you i don't know if you still are but you you were a vegan uh, and I don't know exactly how that got out or whether you, maybe you're on vegan monthly or something like that. I'm not sure, but somehow Vince found out that you were a vegan and I'm not sure if you were a heel at the time, but basically he made you a heel because you were a vegan. And I remember him saying yeah. like, he doesn't eat steak. Oh, what kind of a guy doesn't <laughs> eat steak? Oh, <laughs> that legitimately made him mad. Yeah, yeah, and um, I still feel like there's aspects of me as a human being that still kind of upset him, but I think now he's like, he's like, you know, he's accepted me for just like, oh, this is just who, who Brian is. Right. Um, but like, uh, but yeah, the whole, I was vegan, and it was actually because of the um, the exam that WWE did in 2009 as to why oh, I okay. turned vegan with the liver enzymes, and that year... I had actually gotten three different staph infections, and my doctor oh. had said, hey, it went, uh, one of which was after I had gotten signed, and it was like, oh, no, they're going to call me in on Monday, and I'm going to be like, well, I can come, but I can't wrestle because I've got staph, and then they'd just be like, okay, well, we're not going to sign you. you know, you're Right, like, see you later, yeah. Um, and so, uh, so anyways, my doctor had said, well, one of the things that you can do is you can try going vegan, and I was mm. really willing to try anything at that point, and... He said that the idea behind it is that meats, uh, cheeses, like milk, all that kind of stuff, it's very, it takes a lot of energy for your body to digest. Mm-hmm. And so by eliminating that and eating foods that are very simple for your body to digest, then the, you, your body can use that energy to fight off bacteria. And actually, I'm no longer vegan now because I developed a soy intolerance, which is like the least manly way to become, to not, to stop being vegan. It's like, <laughs> oh no, I just want to eat a steak. And so now I'm going to stop being vegan. I'm going to, you know, go kill an animal or something. <laughs> like, uh, but no, it's just like I started getting really sick from all the soy. And like, you know, and there's other options. And this is the thing, like, the vegan. There was a little bit of I got a little bit of a vegan backlash from like hardcore vegans and like oh there's so many other options besides soy. It's like yeah, but not when you're on the road 200. See, that's the thing, man. That's hard to do. Yeah, and so uh, so so yeah, I forgot what the original what the original topic was that we were talking about. But that yeah, that was the whole but vegan the, thing. Was yeah. it like yeah? Is that is that? And so I was vegan for a little bit over two years. And then, yeah, Vince thought that would be great heel heat. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Quite honestly, it was. He was dead on. He was dead on with it. It was like when I would would say things about being 
being vegan even before I, I was a, before I was a heel. He, you know, people would be like, eh, "We're not sure if we like this vegan yeah. guy." You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But you, I mean, you played it off well too, though. I mean, you, you you got the. I mean, it's the same thing as like saying, you know, I'm better than you. The the classic heel line, you know, I am. You came here yeah. to see me, or I'm better than you. It's like I'm a vegan, you're not. Anything that you can kind of uh, you establish yourself as, as being a kind of an iconoclast and being an elitist, as Vince would say, uh, it always works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was the same thing with Punk and the Straight Edge thing, right? Sure. Like there's literally nothing wrong with it's great to not drink and not do drugs and all that kind of stuff. But then when you rub it in, and, and I know people who are actually like this, like straight edge people who are like, yes. yeah, man, screw everybody who drinks and like, oh yeah, you know, and take and takes ibuprofen and like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> you know, as long as you're doing it in moderation, who cares? And that's coming from somebody who I guess would technically be straight edge, but like. I just, you know, I I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't even know it was a label. Like I just didn't drink. Like, right. No. Yeah, I didn't exactly. Like you know, if you, I was like you know, our guitar player in Fozzie has never drank before in his life. Does that make him straight edge, or do you actually have to like 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 becoming born again? Do you have to get baptized and say I am straight edge now? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like where's the where's yeah. the discernation, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think another thing that we're you know you're talking about the history of we mentioned this earlier on in the conversation about how you finally started getting uh, some I don't know if it's respect or finally started making that real connection with the audience. I mean, you did a lot. Of cool stuff and you got a lot of heat but when you became the champion and then at wrestlemania 28 i believe it was when you lost the title to sheamus in 18 seconds now i think the wwe was 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 expecting there to be a huge uh response for sheamus and the fact that he vanquished the evil daniel bryan so quickly but it backfired it was just the opposite people were legitimately mad that you had that you lost that title so quickly and kind of went to your side on that and because of that yeah, and and, and it, it helps, too. It was like, um, you know, the WrestleMania crowd is not our normal fan base, right? right? And specifically, the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania is not our normal fan yeah. base. It's, uh, you know, because there's even more limited spots for that Raw, and, like, so many people from Europe, and these are the most hardcore fans of the hardcore, you know, throughout the world yes. coming to, to WrestleMania and that sort of thing. But those are the kind of people, though, the har- the very, very hardcore fans are the fans who are my biggest supporters, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, at the time. And, uh, yeah, they were outraged, too, and I think not only just because I lost so quickly, but because the match was so quick, yeah. like, you know, we were the, we had actually gotten a, you know, a decent amount of TV time to build up to the match and all that kind of stuff. And people, you know, and I, people say this all the time when you're doing like uh, meet and greets and autograph signings and stuff like that, but people were really excited for the match. I thought, I agree. And, uh, and, and not, you know, and, you know, there were other matches that they wanted to see more, the Undertaker match and all that kind of stuff, but that was one of the matches they were really excited about. Yeah. And, uh, and people had, I had started noticing it was picking up as far as people doing the yesing, um, leading up to that. Like in, uh, February of that year, we were in Seattle and, uh, there was a lot of yes chants there and signs. And after that, cause that was on Raw mm-hmm. and there, there, it seemed to be picking up steam here and there and all over the place, but then, you know, and I knew it the night before at Hall of Fame, there was like a huge contingent of people just yesing and that sort of thing. So like mm-hmm. it was, um, it was, uh, uh, like just kind of building up, but then the, those people were legitimately mad. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, it, it, but, 
um, as bad as it was kind of at the time, you know, it ended up being good. Uh, me and Seamus were both angry about the whole situation, you know, and I feel bad because it kind of, it, it hurt Seamus a little bit. It did. As opposed to help him, you know, and like it really, it really helped me more than anything else. So, What was the mindset for that? Did you ever find out why it was so short? I have no idea. I have no yeah. idea what they were thinking. I think similar to you, I, th- I, I think that they were thinking that like this is going to put Sheamus over big. It's a, you know, it's a, at the mm-hmm. very least mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to start off WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, here's this World Heavyweight Championship match and boom, oh wow, it's over, you know, one, two, right. three. So, uh, so like, you know, and, and so I think that's kind of what they were thinking. Like it'll put Sheamus over big. It will, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be like, wow, what a great way to kick off WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, yeah. You know, I, m- I remember yeah. like, you know, all Japan would do that sometimes where people were so used to having like these 30, 45 minute title matches. And then once in a while they would do like a three or four minute match just to, to, to train people that, you know, this match can end at any time. You never know. You know, it's not necessary, yeah. but you guys didn't even get that. You didn't even get a match. I mean, maybe you kissed AJ, turned around and got the kick and that was it. So, you know, I was going to say we Punk and I worked that that show as well and the original plan for our match was to do a 10 minute brawl and have it end in a double disqualification which we hated but that's what Vince wanted right. and I think the only reason yeah. why we got to actually have a, a 20 25 minute actual match was because your your guys's went so short you know you, yeah. you know so <laughs> so thanks for that one man <laughs> Yeah it, it, well and it was it, it's funny too because Seamus and I had had a history already of disappointment. The year before, we were wrestling for the uh, for the U.S. Championship, and uh, so that was WrestleMania 27 in Atlanta. Right. And uh, the Monday before, we were supposed to, like, and it's funny because Sheamus and I just have different perspectives on on what on what WWE is, at, you know, especially at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were all sitting in town relations, and, and we were still expecting our match to be on the pay per view. Right. And um, and then all of a sudden, or they have a big talent meeting, and, and John Lauren and I said, "Okay, just want everybody to know there's um there's going to be a lumberjack match. It'll be the the pre-show U.S. title match with Sheamus and Daniel Bryan." And like I had kind of expected it all along because when they told me when they told us the match and they assigned a writer to us, I had kind of said like, "What are the odds of us actually getting on the show?" Right, and then. Um, the writer was like, oh, I would say a good 80%. And then, <laughs> and then, and then Jameis was right there, and Jameis said, wait wait a second, there's a chance we won't be on the show? Like, he saw the 80%, it's like, wait a second, like, yeah. there's a 20% chance we won't be on the show? And the whole time, I was sitting there thinking, well, like, out of all these matches, <laughs> if they're going to bump something to the pre-show, it's not going to be Cody and Ray, because, yeah. you know, Ray's got tenure and all that kind of stuff, and, like, it's going to be us. And then, so we get bumped to the pre-show, and then that was the year that Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler had that, like... Abomination. Like, yeah, so uh, it went, like... 70 million minutes. <laughs> so, like, so, uh, so, yeah, like, Seamus and I already had, like, kind of a history, like, the year before was so disappointed that that was disappointing. So, as soon, yeah, as, was, soon uh, as they said there's an 80% chance, that's the equivalent of in, in Japan where they go, maybe no. As soon as they say yeah, maybe, yeah, no, maybe, it's, maybe no, maybe no. Maybe no. Okay, yeah, we're done. We're screwed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This, this is Talk is Jericho. All right, on the line right now, the WWE World Champion, Daniel Bryan. Hey, you, you mentioned the, the yes chance. How did you start doing that, and, and, and when did it start kind of getting over as, as like the thing to do? Um, so I started doing it, um, I, like, literally, I think the night I won the, the, the world heavyweight title, and that was in December of 2011. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was portrayed as this underdog and that sort of thing, and literally all that happened was it was a match with Mark Henry and Big Show. Big Show won the title, mm-hmm. and then Mark Henry, you know, DDT'd him on a chair or something like that. Mark right. was hurt, and uh, and then so I come out and cash in the thing, and then just celebrate like I just had the biggest, you know, the <laughs> biggest, like I just won the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And um, and then so I started doing, it, and then like, and then they just kind of said to me, they said, "We want you to go down to the ring and celebrate like you're the happiest man alive." Well, Diego Sanchez. Um, is a UFC fighter, and he would do this thing where he'd pound his fist and say, "Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes." And so, like, and I love Diego Sanchez as a fighter, but I, like, my friends were like, "That's so annoying." And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, it is annoying." <laughs> yeah. I'll take that, <laughs> like, so, you know. And then just throwing my arms in the air and that sort of thing. And then, like, so the first time I noticed people actually chanting it was at the show in Seattle in that February. And then, um, and then gradually in little pockets here and there would pick up steam. Uh, I didn't notice it so much at WrestleMania 28, although mm-hmm. people told, and, and legitimately, I've never gone back to watch WrestleMania 28. I've never watched it. Right. Like, just never, never had any interest. Hey, and, let uh, me tell you what happens. Let me, me tell you what happens. You kiss AJ, you turn around, you get kicked in the face, you lose. There you right. go. Now yeah. you don't have to watch it. Yeah, but as far as like <laughs> fan reaction yeah. to it, like, uh, you know, you know, there, all, all I'm thinking is like, uh, you know, like whatever, I'm yeah. getting through this, you know? And then, um, but, so I don't know if there was yes chanting there, but the next night on raw and I wasn't even on the show the next night, I had like a little backstage pre-tape for about 20 seconds or whatever. Wow, okay. The whole, the whole crowd, uh, was just going nuts. And like just BSing during the Rocks promo and like all that kind of stuff, and uh, and then we we did a dark match and it was after the show. I forget who was in it, but it was Seamus. It was a six man tag: Seamus, somebody, and somebody, and me, somebody, and somebody else. And uh, every time. I got in, like, there was all these yes chants. It, it was literally the most over I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life. And, like, everything I did, people were just like, yes, and yes, and yes. And every time I'd get hit or I'd tag out, they'd be like, boo! <laughs> and, like, uh, they ended up, Seamus ended up pinning me with the, with the, um, with the kick. kick. And, but then everybody left the ring and they let me just say something to the crowd. And they hadn't really said anything about, um, it going anywhere with the shirts and stuff, but I but I had talked to the merch guys that night as it was going on, mm-hmm. and I'd been asking them about a yes shirt for a while, and um, and then uh, I pretty much said to the people, I said, "Thank you for being such a great crowd," and then you guys have pretty much solidified me getting a yes shirt. So I, <laughs> I remember that one of you to buy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a little premature, and um, and because they hadn't officially told me that they were going to do it, but I thought, oh well. 
Well, I'll hedge my bets here. Isn't it? Isn't it incredible? Like in you know, if I would have told you, like in the year two thousand, that in the year two thousand fourteen, the two most popular catchphrases in WWE will be "what" and "yes." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's. I guess it's, it's. It's just easy to chat, right? People can get into it and they enjoy it. and It's fun. Yeah, it's fun, and like I also think, like, and I didn't, you know. There was, there was no premeditation by me as far mm-hmm. as like, oh, I'm going to get this to be a huge chant. That was never that was right. never what I was thinking. Like I just thought, okay, this is this is what fits this situation. Yeah. And um, but like it's also it was interesting with Ryback when he was doing Feed Me More is that people like when they go to wrestling shows and this is the modern fan. Um, they like to chant and they like to do things with their arms. Mm. <laughs> like, so feed me more. Like, you know, it's just like, because you can't do anything wide because you hit the person next to you. Right. And you go like, but if you go vertically up and down with your arms, like <laughs> it's interactive, it's, you know, it's fun. Yeah. And like, you know, kids can get into it and all that kind of stuff. And I think that like, that's really helped me. Like as far as like, especially with kids because I, I was always, I thought more like kids kind of liked me, but it was kind of, you know, the, the teenagers to like older people yeah. like, really liked me before, but to get that, but you need, you need something fun. And, well, and like, it, it gave you a recognition factor too. Like even if people didn't know who you were or were familiar with you, it's like, well, there's the S guy. We know him. We can say, yes, we love it. It's fun. And it makes people right, pay yeah. attention to what you're doing, even if they don't really know you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and that's a, uh, it, it, that's really, uh, it, and that, it's just crazy how things work out. You know what I mean? Like, I think for probably the rest of my career, I'll probably be known as the yes guy. Yeah. And like, you work so hard at all the other stuff. Dude, I'll tell <laughs> you what, like, man. It's this, it's this yesing that with the, you know, people know you by, so. I've had five star matches. I've fallen off ladders and broken my teeth in half, and I'll be known as the arm bar guy with a lighted jacket. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, yes, too, it's kind of gone mainstream. I mean, basketball teams are doing it and football teams are doing it. And once you kind of get, you know, I mean, I know it was on Sports Center. Once you kind of get that, uh, get it over to that extent, you know, you've got something special. Yeah, and it's just, it's, man, my life is just strange, you know? <laughs> like, so yeah, they did, like, I was, they did a story on me on, like, the USA Today. And, like, Somebody was coming up to me, I forget who, oh, uh, Lumpy, the merch guy, was like, yeah, every time the Pittsburgh Pirates get a home run, they, all the guys do the yes chant. And then, like, the people start doing the yes chant. And apparently at the Pittsburgh Penguins, I guess, are in the hockey playoffs. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I don't, I don't pay attention to sports whatsoever except for UFC. Right. And, like, uh, and, and the Seattle Seahawks. And um, so, <laughs> so the Pittsburgh Penguins are in the playoffs, and then they, I guess the whole arena, he said, was chanting yes. And it's like, how did that happen? Like, I, I don't think those people even know who I am, you know, let alone, like, but here it is. And, like, you know, it's just crazy, like, with yes. the basketball thing and all that kind of stuff. You just, you just like, here I am. I'm sitting in my little two-bedroom apartment right here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if people only you know, knew, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got, like, a little Honda Fit that doesn't even have automatic locks. And, like, <laughs> the, the, you know... 14,000 people or 10,000 people in a hockey arena, you know, 2,500 <laughs> miles from here, all chanting yes. <laughs> it's like, it's just... Well, I mean, and, and like you, know? you said, that really bridged the gap for you 
uh, to get over to the next level and to get where you are now as the world champion. But right before you became the world champion, there was a, a three or four month period where you were in the main event of the pay-per-view and every finish was some kind of a screw job. Now I know that some people will think that this was all one big plan, uh, that you were always supposed to win at WrestleMania. You and I probably know differently that maybe wasn't really the plan. Was it ever getting it, getting to you when you would show up for your main event and the people are going nuts and they're chanting yes and it's like, well, today Sean's going to super kick you or today we're going to have a, a dusty finish. Or, I mean, was it getting to you time after time when you kept showing up and hearing this? Okay, so it was it was frustrating and it was also um, it was also it was a little bit demoralizing yeah. in the sense that like okay. Um, I know I'm not the guy that you're going with right now. Right. Uh, and, but there needs to be these main events and whatnot. Um, I guess the, the, the hard thing for me was this. And, um, it was that I'm okay. And when I say this, I'm okay with it. I'm not, I do my best. I want, I want to yeah. be the guy, right? Right, right? Everybody wants to be the guy. I want to be where John Cena's at as far as like, uh, the guy that like the company revolves around. Like, right. sure. if I get hurt, the company feels like okay, that's okay. When John gets hurt, they go into panic mode, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, that that sort of thing. Um, so, so I, I wanted to to preface what I'm about to say with that. Sure, I'm okay with them not pushing me as the guy. Mm-hmm. And when I say I'm okay with it, I can accept it. You can deal and with it. Work my work my hardest to be the guy, despite what they want. Right. But um, on the flip side of that, if I'm not going to be the guy, I want the person who is the guy, or to be somebody who's on the road, who we mm-hmm. can like. Uh, so, and I felt like the problem with what we were doing then was that it didn't it didn't help Randy either, which is the guy that we needed to be like this we want we needed everybody to hate him yes and and we didn't get that out of those specific and that was the most demoralizing thing like i'm okay with like with some stuff as as long as i can see the benefit it's like okay well that's going to make people hate him so even if it's not me who beats this guy it's somebody else will and then yeah it's better, help, it, you know for the betterment of the, of the show right i got gotcha. you yeah and so but you know, well, when I say that, I also I also see it as being like, okay, I'm still going to work my hardest to be that yeah. guy, but they don't want me there now. So I'm like, I but I want the direction to be in the be- for the benefit of the company, and it's hard when you when you don't see that yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and they, you know, and they, I don't know anything about long. Nobody ever tells me anything about plans or anything when they're doing stuff. Like I'm pretty out of the loop even now as the as the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. So it's like, um, so I, I'm I'm one of those guys, and I think I always have been, and might always, probably always will be somebody who shows up. And I do the best with what I'm given, you know. Well, and that's and the I best way to do because things things change so much, anyways, dude. You know how it is. You show up on a Monday morning, yeah. and by Monday evening, there's been three or four scenarios. So why get caught up in all that part of it? Yeah, and so uh, so yeah, but I guess that was the most frustrating part for me is I didn't see I didn't see where okay I didn't see how this was helping us as a company, you know. Mm-hmm, right, and and like you said, I mean, there was a lot of different uh, moving parts to lead up to to WrestleMania 30. Punk quit. Um, I mean, you just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and then suddenly you show up, and dude, you got two matches on the show. I mean, I know what it's like to be in a WrestleMania main event, to be the WrestleMania main event, but to do two matches, I mean, that's a lot of pressure, 
And to your credit, both matches were, were great. They're both different matches, but they both were the, in my opinion, the, the top two matches on the show. That was a lot of pressure, man. But I mean, I bet you you were ready for it. Obviously, you were. Yeah, and it, you know, it's interesting because people will say that to me, and I, I don't feel. It's funny because Sean had told me, uh, had told us, not me specifically, told us as a class, if if it ever gets to the point where you're not nervous going out there, mm-hmm. you should quit. Great point. And um, uh, he had said that, but that said, I really don't get that nervous with that kind of stuff. Like with the matches, I was I was excited. I was mm-hmm. like, man, this is going to be so much fun. Like that's what I'm thinking. Right? <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, I can't wait to go out there. Like this is going to be like some people get. Um, and I, this happened to me a lot when I was um, Ring of Honor champion. And the, and what had happened was is that um, in Ring of Honor, so I would almost always go on last in the title match. And yeah. you have all these guys who are busting their butts trying to have the best match of the show. And then those shows are long, too, like yeah. four hours a lot of times. That's right. So you're going out there last. They've seen everything under the sun. And you have to be the main event. You have to be the guy that, top, that tops all of that, or at least lives up to all of that as far as like sure so it's not like oh you know so people aren't sitting on their hands during the main event yeah and um at some point during that i would get really nervous before i'd go out there that gosh this is are people going to be there for it and like as far as i know you know i know this is going to be a good match but if the people aren't reacting to it because they're tired it won't come off as a as it won't yes. come off as a great match right it won't come off as a title match and it won't come off as important and um and so that w- that was always my concern. And then I got to a point probably midway through the title reign where I was like, I'm just going to go out there and have fun and enjoy myself. And I can't necessarily control how the people are going to react. And I can't, con- there's a lot of things that I can't control. And it's a very, it's a very like Zen approach as far as like what I can control is what I do out there yeah. and, uh, and that sort of thing. And there's always the, the nervousness of, of like, like okay, I hope the people I I hope the people enjoy what I'm about to do. But also, it's very important to me to go out there and for me to enjoy myself with what I'm doing. Because well, and, and if, if and I if don't you... go out there and enjoy it, then there's, like I'm not a big money guy as far as like I don't care so much about money. So for me, it's the gratification of going out there and doing what I love is the main motivating factor as far as why I do well, this. And it's a real drug too. I mean, and, and the, you know, when you're talking about going out there and, you know, I don't think any of us really do it for the money. Like you said earlier, and it was a great point. It's great to make money. I mean, it's, if someone's going to be making money from this, I want to do it, but it's not about that. It's about having that, that crowd kind of in the palm of your hand. And the whole story of WrestleMania 30 was built around you. And that must have been a real cool feeling that every false finish meant something, no matter what it was. Because if you lose in the Triple H match, you're not in the final match. If you lose in the final match, you don't win the championship. And you know all of the frustration from the four months of you not getting your due culminated on that show. I mean, that must have been one of the best uh, experiences of your professional career. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And then on top of that, one of the things that... Um that is really cool about pro wrestling is when people care. Yes. Like people, when sometimes people, people go in and they, um, they'll really enjoy a match, but they don't necessarily care who wins and loses. (laughs) They cared about me winning. Right. Like they wanted me to win. They didn't want to just see a good match. They would not have been satisfied with a good match and me losing. They wanted to see me win. And that's like, 
that's really, really neat. And just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, as far as, you know, it, it, just the whole thing was awesome. Like, as far as anything that you ever imagined as a kid, as far as, like, yeah, right. you know, what your dreams are and all that kind of stuff happened for me on that on that specific night. And so my mom uh, has never, she, she's been to maybe two wrestling shows in her entire life. She got to come to WrestleMania. My sister came with one of my little nieces, and, uh, and, and they just, they just had a blast and they got to see like the biggest moment of, of my career. And, but it's also that sort of stuff also helps put everything into perspective for you as far as like your place in the world and all that kind of stuff. Because my little niece Hayden, who's like five years old or she's four, but she's going to be five this year. She, uh, I, I pulled her into the ring with me. And, um, <laughs> and so when she, when they packed up to go the next day, there was some confetti on one of her clothes and uh, Hayden said to my sister, she said, oh, mommy, this must be from the little party Uncle Brian had with his friends. <laughs> <laughs> the little party Uncle Brian had with his friends. I don't know what she's like. I don't know how many friends she thinks I have. <laughs> <laughs> 70,000 friends. <laughs> right, yeah. And so, like, to her, it was just like, and it was funny, my sister was explaining it to me. She And to, to Hayden, it was like, of course, everybody are cheering for my uncle Brian because he's my uncle Brian, and yeah. everybody like everybody likes him. And of course, everybody's wearing my uncle Brian's T-shirts because he's my uncle Brian. Right. And like, who, other, <laughs> who else's T-shirt would you wear? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just the way it goes. Like, you know, I don't, I don't see anybody wearing anybody else's T-shirt. And just, <laughs> you just would just wear my uncle Brian's T-shirt. Why not? <laughs> I remember when my so, gra- when my grandma was yeah. in the, my grandma was in the old folks' home, and uh, I kept getting calls from all these kids. And I was like, uh-huh. well, who are you? She's like, well, um, my mom's a nurse at your, at your grandma's home, and she gave me your phone number. I was like, Grandma, you can't give out my phone number to all these kids. And she's like, why not? You're my grandson. I can give out your phone number. Like, she don't get it. Like, you know, it's not a fan. It's, like, oh, it's my grandson. Of course you can have his phone number. You can call him whenever you want. He's my grandson. <laughs> but, dude, yeah, like you said, man, the culmination of all these years of hard work, 70,000 people chanting yes. You're the world champion. I mean, did you ever think when you were at uh, – your friend Abe's house back in Aberdeen looking at Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines that that would be uh, the finish for WrestleMania 30. Yeah, you you know, it's funny because life is just strange. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you can't, a lot of things you can't control and you can't predict or you can't do anything like that. This is something I would have never predicted even like three years ago. Right. You you always hope that this is, that you're going to get this opportunity, but in fact, even like six months ago. I was going to say even five months ago, right? Like, hey, are you going to get the opportunity to main event WrestleMania, whether you win or not? Yeah. I would have said, I would have said, yeah, the odds are likely not so much. You yeah. Know? Um, and then things, things just happen, man. Life's, life's crazy and it's a whirlwind, but it's also like, I feel like, and people have, have kind of said this to me, um, uh, the whole week leading up to WrestleMania when, when we're doing autographs and stuff like that. And it's just like, uh, I think it's a, like my story Specifically, I know that I am very lucky to be where I'm at, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a good story as far as like, hey, if you work hard, anything anything can happen. That doesn't mean it will happen. Like right. I had a lot of good breaks, a lot of amazing breaks to get to where I'm at. But like, if you put yourself in a position where where um, 
if you get the right breaks, you know, your dreams can come true. Like, that's that's really cool. And just one of the amazing things to me with being with WWE, which was different as an independent wrestler, is how much you get to interact with the fans, mm-hmm. especially, like, during WrestleMania week. And they get to tell you their stories. Yeah. Which are sometimes every bit as amazing or, or, or more amazing than ours. And so, like, that's, you know, all that kind of stuff is just really cool. It's pretty cool to know that you're able to touch people's lives and make a difference. And and you've kind of been laughing about it because I know your personality. And it's pretty funny to think that people uh, were so, um, like you said, you had to win at WrestleMania. You had to. And if you didn't, they would go home sad and their lives would be sadder. You know, you made that much of a difference in their lives when you won. It's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I related to, him, um, to my dad, actually, when the Seahawks lost my dad was a huge Seahawks fan, just huge Seahawks fan. When the Seahawks in the 2005 season, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl for the first time ever, and they lost. Mm-hmm. And my dad was literally—he was heartbroken. Like <laughs> he was heartbroken. And this year, the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, and he was so incredibly happy. And like the difference that this sporting event made on his life right. is like—it's incredible, right? And then. It's hard for me to even think in those terms of myself that I make other people happy. Mm. But the truth is that that we kind of do. And Absolutely. Like, uh, but it's just it's hard for me to accept that. <laughs> so it's like it's hard for me to accept that. Like, oh, the WrestleMania for some people yeah. might have been the same way the Seahawks was for my dad. So. Right. You're just the goofy guy who wanted to be called Buddy Peacock. Right, yeah, <laughs> Lloyd Bonier. <laughs> last world heavyweight champion, Lloyd, Lloyd Bonier. <laughs> last, uh, last two questions. What's your um, uh, your favorite match that you've ever been in? I mean, I know it's hard to pick just one, but is there a couple that stand out? Okay, yeah. So um, one of my one of my favorites is uh, a match I had with a Japanese wrestler named Kenta for Ring of Honor. And absolutely, yeah. And um, what had happened, there's just a story behind that match, is uh, I had separated my shoulder, um, a pretty bad separation, uh, three weeks earlier, and um, was just wrestling through it until I lost the title in December. Mm-hmm. And we were doing the match with Kenta, and I literally I couldn't move my arm. And so we just, well, what are we going to do for this match? Well, we just decided to have Kenta kick the crap out of my arm. Mm-hmm. And... People knew it was a real injury, and it was, it's interesting because they're like, they're the fans who are very quick to, to crap on something if they don't like it, yeah. but it was also if they know something's real like that or when I detach my retina, um, that sort of thing. Right. They, they are very, they're like, they really care about you. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And, uh, and so like, and to me, you know, you always, you always want to entertain me, people, when you're wrestling, you always want to to be entertained by what you're doing. Yes. But if you can make if you can make even one or two people cry, like that is like <laughs> the essence yeah. of, of wrestling. And then when you like, and I could see it when I was there, like a couple of people, like, oh my god, like they were legitimately concerned for me. And not only that, people in the back were concerned for me too. Because <laughs> it's real. It's really, really hard. And like, <laughs> he put me in this Fujiwara armbar and I was like, holy cow, guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is real. Know, I'm like, hurt. My, yeah, like my shoulders legitimately it was horrible <laughs> right now. And, um, but that was one of my favorites just because of the emotion that like went through it and just like, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then, Gosh, I had these matches with with Regal in in Europe that were just so special to me. Mm. Um, 
just because he's my mentor and like you know the european tours as you know are you get to you can go out there and you can just wrestle and just yeah. enjoy yourselves and like we did we did something different every night and it was just so much fun mm. and then um and then you know obviously the wrestlemania matches were super cool and also SummerSlam with john cena this last year it was a classic yeah it was was really was really cool because that was the first time that i'd ever ever really like main evented a pay-per-view you know mm, what i mean right Just like uh, and and to do it with John, who's like the most popular guy in the company, you know, is is just was just really special. And, and added to the fact that it it was a really good match, you know, it was it was just a lot of fun. I so. was I've seen as one of the most underrated workers. People get on his case, but that guy has great match after great match after great match. So I agree with, with you. With guys that you wouldn't think that he you that's could right have great matches with. Like I remember, he had a match with like Kali. I know. <laughs> at, like a couple of years ago, that I was like, oh my gosh, that was like really good. Like. <laughs> You know, and no knock on Kali, but the oh, dude. guy can barely walk. I mean, honestly, so. I know. I remember. I remember specifically I was thinking that when you said, with guys you don't expect, Kali and Cena was a great match for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. L- last question. I mean, now that you've grown this beard and you're famous for the beard, do you ever wake up some days and just go, man, I, I want to shave this thing, but I can't? <laughs> no, um, there are there are times that I've, that I've contemplated trimming it. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, and it's it's mostly because it's a nuisance. Some I love it. I love not having to shave. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't bother me in any other way except this: food gets caught in it, <laughs> right? Being too long, and so like you know that you know that's just kind of the the biggest thing. And the, and the but the nice thing is, is the brie loves it. So oh, like that's all that matters, <laughs> so man. Yeah, brie is the brie. Is, yeah, and that's helpful. Like cause we just got married, and like she wasn't like. I want you to shave your beard for the wedding. She's like, no, keep it. I'd just like you to, to trim up the edges so it doesn't look so wild. And like, uh, and so we just trimmed up the edges a little bit and got married, and she loves it. So, that, yeah, like, uh, I'm sure at some point the beard will go, but I just, I hate having to shave. Right. So, so this is right up my alley. Well, the, the classic thing is too is like Vince doesn't like facial hair, and he also doesn't understand that right now. I mean, beards are pretty popular. Like people have big beards. It's just kind of the way it goes. But I can just see him going. Not only is he a vegan, but he's got a big beard. Oh, come on! <laughs> right, and and I, I, somebody told me, and I don't, I don't know Vince that well, but somebody told me also that he's like. He's not cool with like the long, or he doesn't like like the long hair right now. And I don't know, I don't know who told me that, but like the long hair, it's like he thought it was maybe a relic of like the eighties right. or nineties or something like that. You know what I mean? And like, and so you're like, yeah, now my hair is like, my hair is almost getting to like shoulder length. Now. I know. And it's, <laughs> he's got this big beard. I used to be a vegan. And, you, you look, know, uh, you look, stuff. you look just like my friend from Winnipeg. His name is Ribo. He looks just like you, but he's about two hundred pounds lighter. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, Brian, I, I lo- really appreciate you doing this show. And like I said, nobody deserves this as much as you do. I've been a fan of yours for for years and years, and it's uh, it's great to see you as the world champion. And it was uh, great to have you on the show, man. All right, thank you very much, Chris. All right, brother, take care, man. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks to Daniel Bryan for an amazing interview, and thanks to you. Yeah, you. For using my Amazon link every time you do your online shopping, it's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links for Canada, UK, and USA. Pack Tui, Russia number one, Iran number one, USA, Pack Tui. Shout out to the Iron Sheik, my boy. 
every time you do that. Amazon kicks back a little cashola to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. There's no extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and helping me out in the process, right? Coming up next Wednesday, we got another big shoe for you. Zach Wild, my brother from Black Label Society, will be here. And many, many tales he has. Tales of, of, of being loaded with Ozzy Osbourne. Tales of getting sober. Tales of Black Label Society. And also, he was a huge Ultimate Warrior fan. We'll get his thoughts on the passing of Ultimate Warrior. So many great tales to tell with Zach Wild. And I appreciate you being here. I know there's hundreds of podcasts for you to check out. And the fact you come and hang out with me on Talk is Jericho makes you and I close, close friends. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to kiss it. Yeah, have a great weekend. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 